Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, we've been uh, reporting uh, protests have continued this week outside a site in Karakil in Mallow after it was found that the OPW is examining the uh, proposal to construct modular houses on that site for Ukrainian refugees. Yesterday we were contacted by a local residence to say a health and safety notice went up on the site indicating that work would begin on the site next Tuesday the 7th of uh, February. We immediately made contact with local councillor Tony O'Shea who has been talking to us about this on the programme uh, before. Good morning to you Tony. Good morning, Patricia. OK, uh, t- to see this site notice go up, do we take it from that that the site has now been deemed suitable? Um, no, Patricia. Um, look, I got calls yesterday to say that these signs had gone up and I immediately uh, made contact with uh, Minister O'Donovan's office and I've been told, Patricia, that they've been ordered. If, if the builder put these signs up, those signs should have gone up uh, prior to any works commencing on the site. Um, they have confirmed to me yesterday evening that he's been ordered to take those signs down and um, the site is not... Um, they don't know if it's suitable or unsuitable. They confirmed that the site investigation works have completed and it's with the quantity surveyor team at the moment and they will decide, we will know next week if the site is suitable or unsuitable for the modular homes. So somebody jumped the gun by putting up those signs? Yes, they are blaming the contractor. Uh, the contractor uh, seems to be doing his own thing here, Patricia. Um, now I've been told yesterday evening that they're they're uh, having a chat with this contractor this morning, and he's just he's just jumping the gun in every angle from the word go. Nothing has been done right, um, so they are having meetings with him this morning. And okay, and where are they at with the suitability of the site? It's with the quantity surveyor. The, Site investigation works are now complete, I'm told, and it's with the quantity surveyors who do a costing and see if the site is suitable or unsuitable. That site, I think, I mean, I'm told, has a few red flags in it, uh, Patricia. It's a, there's a, a slope or a, a steep gradient in it. So this is why it is handed over to the quantity surveyors to do a costing on it and see if basically yeah. how much it will cost. Yeah, because quantity surveyors come in when we get to the point of how much is this going to cost? Cost. And I'd say that will deem it all. I'd say if it's going to cost an arm and a leg, Patricia, I, I don't think it might be suitable. Um, they have confirmed yesterday evening to me that they will know uh, next week, that we'll know, public representatives will be told next week what the 
inspector consultation process with the neighbouring estates uh, in Carrickgeel. Yeah, because there was a meeting this day last week and that's what you were categorically told, wasn't it, that the residents of the nearby estates would be consulted if and when the site was deemed suitable. That's correct, Patricia. And even as late as yesterday evening, they, nothing has changed unless the site is still not deemed suitable or unsuitable or until such time to deemed suitable. Uh, they will set the consultation process with the neighbouring estates. And who will operate that consultation process? Will that be the council or will that be the OPW or will it be the D- Department of Integration? I would imagine it will be the OPW and the Department uh, of Integration, um, Patricia. The council, I don't think, will have anything to do with it. If the OPW are rolling this out. The council played their partners by identifying the site. And that's, to the best of my knowledge, that's as much as the council, uh, that's the council's involvement in it. And and do you even know what the format of the of the consultation is? Will consultation be telling the local people this is what is happening? Is is that what you expect the consultation to be, or will consultation be the OPW listening to the concerns of the local people? That's what I'm hoping, Patricia. At the end of the day, look, the, the residents and the neighbouring in neighbouring estates up in Carrickheel, they have concerns. Uh, we have been told uh, and categorically uh, told that it, it, this mod, these modular homes are specifically for Ukrainian families bringing the war. Yeah, but isn't it looking now like certainly for some of the people who have been protesting at the site, they if if it's the site is deemed suitable for modular homes, they want the modular homes for people who are on the council's housing list. And that's obviously not what these homes are being built for, but that's what local people feel they should be used for. Yes, uh, and uh, I spoke to you last week, Patricia, the council have looked at these modular homes last week or over a number of years ago. And um, look, modular homes have come on leaps and bounds. They told us at the meeting last week, Patricia, that there's a lifespan in them of 60 years. So maybe the, maybe the government have, should go back and, and relook at uh, providing these modular homes and it will definitely help the housing crisis that the country is in at the moment. Yeah, because by all accounts they go up really quickly as well. Once once the site is made ready, these homes can be in in a very short period of time. Yes, uh, and I'm reading the notice that was put up yesterday evening. Like that date they're saying was Tuesday the 7th of February and I think the end date was around July. So that's 30 homes built in that period of time. So it seems to be a fast process. I think they come black packs and they're just built on site. Um, so I would be thinking that they're fast enough build. But but you are hopeful that when this consultation process, this is if the site is deemed suitable, you're hoping that the concerns of the local people will be listened to? Absolutely, Patricia. Look, a discussion needs to be had. Um, look, the residents need confirmation and they need questions answered. So I'm hoping the OPW and the department will fulfil that and put all queries to bed once and for all. The people in Lismore haven't been listened to, Tony. They are dead against their hotel being used. And Minister Rodrigo Gorman came out only earlier this week and said it's a fait accompli, it's happening, regardless of what the local people feel about it. So they certainly, I don't know what sort of a consultation process went on, but they were very vocal in getting their message across to the powers that be that they were welcoming of asylum seekers, but just not in the hotel. But 
you know, when decisions like this are made, it's almost like regardless of how anybody feels, it happens and that's it. Yes, but just unfortunately, look, uh, and look, I would hope that they will stick to their guns and, and start a proper consultation with the, with the neighbouring estates that are affected above. They have, their, they have concerns and they need to be, Patricia, if need to be, look, we'll try and organise a meeting for a resident of some estates to come in. And like we were provided with a, an email last week. Um, so, like, they can, you know, the residents can email that email and um, maybe they might answer their concerns then. Do you know if uh, many people did reach out via that email? I'm not sure. Uh, okay, you, would, you wouldn't know. Sure. Yeah, you wouldn't I did know. Hear, I did hear of one or two said that they got no response. They did email us and got no response. Now, there was a bit of confusion, I think, about, um, about the email. I think the one we were given at the meeting was... I know that Ukraine rapid build, and I think it's actually rapid build Ukraine. Uh, go, yeah, so, uh, it's uh, so it's rapid oh, build Ukraine yes. at equality.gov.ie. Yeah, okay. That's All right, that, that might have explained because we heard from one listener anyway who said that, that she couldn't get through. But, um, the OPW and the department are adamant that all of these modular homes that they are building, I think there's 900 in total, that it is for Ukrainian refugees. And, you know, I think, I mean, I certainly watched a story during the week of that young child from one of the towns that have been bombarded at the moment and she'd been separated from her mother and she'd been with her grandparents and the Ukrainian, two of the senior army people in Ukraine went in to get her out. And I just looked at that child and the fear that that child has been living with and it just struck me there isn't there isn't a community in Ireland wouldn't welcome a little girl like that and her pregnant mother if they were to arrive in our shores so you know we must always remember that the people who are coming from Ukraine what they're actually fleeing Exactly Patricia that's the main thing they are fleeing a war in their country um, they're left with no choice to be honest and like we, it's up to us really to to welcome them and, and to look after them. And I think that like Marrowtown has done it before, as I stated last week, uh, for the Syrian war. And I don't think that it will change this time. I think, look, their main concern is, 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 is uh, we have been told it's specifically uh, Ukrainian refugees that are fleeing the war. Uh, Ukrainian families, actually, is what we were told, um, Patricia. Yeah, and it's, it's all back to communication. It's just back to telling people what is going on. And I mean, in Mallow isn't the first place that this has happened in. We're seeing it in so many other locations around the country. And nobody seems to be learning any lessons from it, Tony. Absolutely, Patricia. It's the way this has been rolled out from day one. And my understanding is that the contractor is, is just doing his own thing. And I've been told yesterday evening that they're having a meeting with the contractor this morning and telling him to step back a small bit until such thing until such time that uh, it's ready like we don't know for sure if the site is suitable or unsuitable uh, we will know next week and I would be hoping that uh, uh, that the consultation period will start with the neighbouring um, residents and estates in Patricia as, as soon as that decision is announced exactly, exactly. Right. And okay, they, but, but, they but you reckon that we will know that next week okay and you're, you're saying that from what you're hearing there is a there is still a question mark about this site and that it may not be suitable you're still hearing Ab- that absolutely it was confirmed to me yesterday evening uh, Patricia okay alright Tony listen we appreciate you taking time uh, to talk to us um, no doubt uh, regardless of what the decision is next week we'll talk to you again next week in the meantime enjoy your bank holiday weekend
You too, Patricia. And thank thanks you. for joining us. Uh, good morning bye-bye. to you. Bye bye. Uh, that is uh, Fine Gael local councillor uh, Tony O'Shea. Jim says, Patricia, with the contractor, uh, was the contractor in breach of health and safety laws if the health and safety signs only went up uh, yesterday and the due date for work to commence when work had already uh, started? Well, they would say work hasn't already started. They'll say that they would the work that was being done was to assess the suitability. But yeah, I, I there's a number of people have queried that as well. That usually, if there's any kind of work going on in a site, they usually has to be there's very strict health and safety rules about signs going up and letting people know that you know if you're if you're approaching any kind of a building work there will be signs saying you know site entry ahead to warn people and there was very heavy machinery and there has been heavy machinery going up that road to go into that particular site so yeah I, d- I don't know should that sign have gone up earlier or not but certainly the sign only went up yesterday and someone else says who in God's name are in charge of this site this is such very poor communication. The site is either suitable or it's not suitable. The council in Mallow don't seem to know who is in charge. Well, it's, it's see that therein lies the problem. It isn't anything to do with uh, Cork County Council or the Mallow, Mallow councillors. This is a building, um, the building of the modular homes is under the auspices of the OPW and the Department of Integration and therein lies the problem, even though there is strict, there are very, very strong guidelines saying that they must keep consultation going with the locally elected representatives and obviously with the local community uh, as as well. We uh, contacted the OPW actually this morning just to get an update, particularly when this health and safety notice went up and it was looking like construction was going to begin. It says on the 7th of the 2nd, which is next uh, Tuesday, and they have just emailed in a response to say the health and safety notice on this site was to facilitate investigative works. Results of these investigations will inform the assessment of the site for its viability of use. Full consideration of the use of the site for rapid build housing is ongoing and no final decision has been taken as to its viability. Development works will not commence until that viability assessment has been uh, completed. So they're now saying the health and safety notice was to facilitate the investigative work which has been ongoing uh, for over a week now, isn't it, was when they the diggers and the various machines and uh, the workers first moved in. So uh, maybe that notice should have gone up on day one because that was one of the things from a number of listeners in the area that contacted us who were out protesting saying there's absolutely no notice gone up and they had to find out from local councillors and local councillors then had to find out from the OPW uh, because they didn't know for sure as to why the work was actually beginning. And then a number of people are saying, Patricia, why is no planning needed uh, for these uh, modular uh, homes. Well, the the new planning regulations, they came in in July of this year and it's for the fast tracking of temporary accommodation, but it is only for Ukrainian refugees in Ireland. Certain classes of temporary developments, and that's what the residential ones, which includes residential accommodation, so that's including the modular homes, undertaken by are on behalf of a state authority, in this case, the Department of Integration and the OPW, to provide protection to displaced persons from the Ukraine have been exempt from the provisions of the Planning and Development Act other than those dealing with environmental considerations. The specified development classes will not require planning permission for the period that the regulations are in place and will not be subject to the various restrictions that would normally apply to classes of exempt uh, developments and it is the European Union planning and developing development 
Displaced Persons from Ukraine Temporary Protection Regulation of 2022 and it'll be enforced for an initial period of one year with a maximum extended total period of four years. Oh, it actually came in from the uh, 4th of March. I thought it was actually in uh, July. So that's how the OPW and the Department of uh, Integration and Department of Housing, that's the way they're able to get around because people would say you can't build, you, you can't put up modular homes without planning. But it is just for the displaced persons from Ukraine, which would lead me to believe any of the any of the modular houses that are going up can only be used because they're going up without planning and because they're going up under this special European planning and uh, development regulation act. They can only be used, therefore, for Ukrainian refugees. And that might give some comfort to because I know some people when they hear about the modular houses going up and I know it was certainly the case in Mallow. I know it also has happened in Mahan. It's going on in Croom, I think, at the moment as well. People are worried that uh, asylum seekers and people who are here for international protection and people who are arriving without any documentation, people are fearful that some of those people will end up in these homes and then nobody knows who they're living beside. But it does look like the fact that they're using those temporary regulations, it can only be used, the housing can only be used for displaced persons from Ukraine. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at c103.ie With the controversy continuing over an alleged government strategy that denied refunds to families who were wrongfully charged nursing home fees, one advocacy group has described it as a morally corrupt social policy. Magella Beatty, CEO of Care Champions, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Magella. Good morning, Patricia. How Look, are you? I'm very well. And Magella, it's a bit like here we go again. A mistake, like a genuine mistake can be made. But that gets compounded by trying to cover up the mistake, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, and I think that's probably um, the biggest issue here is how the government treats people who um, were vulnerable and who were victims in all of this and continue to push them to a level not taking into consideration the not just the financial impact on those victims, but the pressure and the whole uh, enormity that this big legal state system coming against a vulnerable system until they actually pull back. And I suppose the reality in all of that is that only a very small minority of victims and their families will have had or had the knowledge, the confidence, the money or the support to achieve and try and initiate any court action. So many of them, their voices will never be heard in all of this. Yeah, and we're talking about overcharging that dates back, I think, right back into the um, 70s. And I mean, over those years, many families would have they would have got into huge debt, wouldn't they, to make sure that their loved one was getting the care that they needed. And it was it was people who, in many instances, didn't want to put their loved ones into nursing home care, but they had no choice. Yeah. And like, you know, we've like we've been hearing in the last number of days, you know, people where homes had to be sold and people went into serious debt. But the reality is the government created a private sector, <clears throat> which is still the issue that we have today, you know, where we have people, the state today only owns 20% of public beds. So people, they have no choice but to go into a private nursing home bed if that's all that's available. And they were supposed to be covered under that 1970s Act or by their medical card. And yet today, 
which in in a way, you know, I know it's not a bit, uh, as big as the whole charge of things, but if you live in the community today or you live in a public nursing home today, you are entitled to all these services under your medical card, like access to an OT, physiotherapy, uh, an air mattress, a wheelchair, a walking aid. But if you live in a private nursing home, you are not entitled to those. So that makes no sense. If the medical card is covering you if you live in one building and if the ne- in a public building and if next door is a private building, it doesn't cover you. So you would wonder, you know, um, how much of um, how much of these sort of strategies and plans, how much of it is still there or undercurrents of it still there affecting people who are vulnerable today. Yeah, yeah, because I know like the argument has always been, oh, fair deal replaced it, so it's all okay. But that's that's a very valid point you make, and and we would often hear from families who have a loved one in a nursing home, and they're scraping the mother the money together for the additional costs uh, that they have to pay because it is a, a private nursing home. But of those families, particularly, and and we're hearing more and more families coming forward saying, uh, you know, we had to sell, as you say, the family at home. We got into huge debt uh, to pay for the care that they're now being told that it looks like they shouldn't have had to pay for. Do you believe compensation should be paid now? Absolutely. I think it needs to be addressed. I think there's fundamental questions that have to be answered. <clears throat> I don't know how, way, in what way compensation will be able to be um, assessed, or assessed now for families Particularly when you consider, you know, this is historic. An awful lot of those people will be gone mm. while there are still some families there. I do think it needs to be addressed. Families definitely are entitled to some sort of compensation. But I think we actually need, um, you know, because of all the controversy after controversy, we have the disability one now coming out. We need to now just stop and say, OK, what are we doing wrong here in the system? And if you look at you know, right now we're talking about people's right to people's right to be able to access their uh, their rights, basically. And government ministers have been following a morally bankrupt policy, which is taking people's rights away. But well, it's not just the financial rights that's in the media at the minute. You know, the people have rights to access a safeguard and social worker when things go wrong. But you do live in a private care facility, you do not have a legal right to a safeguarding professional. You know, people have a right to life, right to family, all these rights which are not afforded to people. So maybe this is the opportunity instead of government running now and trying to defend the indefensible, they need to put their hands up and say, okay, this has been done, this is so wrong and we've all followed through with it, but okay, how are we going to completely reform the system to put citizens, and no matter their vulnerability, but to put the proper supports around them in a manner that we can afford that they're able to access all their rights. Yeah, yeah, and and I think we so have to end this uh, policy that when a mistake uh, is made and when somebody does have the will and the financial way way to, to fight a case, that they're then asked, you know, the settlement is done, 
with the confidentiality clause in order to avoid others taking similar actions. We saw it with Vicky Phelan and how brave Vicky Phelan uh, was. And as you say, we're seeing it again now. You've mentioned there's about 12,000, I think, uh, people who lost out on uh, disability payments um, when they ended up in care and, and their, their payments shouldn't have been taken from them. It always seems to be the most vulnerable, doesn't it? Well, they're the easiest people, I suppose, yeah. to, um, you know, they have the least voice because their voice is taken from them. And, you know, even this whole thing of, you know, the state used their strategy and when people did try to go to court, they fought it and fought it until families ended up, in many cases, having to pull away either financial reasons or stress reasons they couldn't keep it going. And you look at what's happening with our families today, you know, trying to access records in nursing homes. They're going to court. You look at the judicial review. It's been repeated. They're being pushed, pushed, pushed. It's the very same thing. We're going round in circles, repeating things that were wrong and and were unjust and are unjust. So, it, it, you know, as you said, this thing of trying to shut people up. Like, you look at the whistleblower in the centre of this controversy. He's been sat at home. They're mm-hmm. not allowing him to work in case he spills the beans. And it's frightening to hear him yeah. say last night on television, he has a lot more to say. It's incredible, incredible. And we spoke to you a, a few weeks ago, and it was actually in advance of your uh, conference last weekend at uh, D- DCU, uh, Magella. You're calling for a public inquiry into elder care during the pandemic. Is, is that the only way we'll find out exactly what happened? A public inquiry? I, I think it needs, to, at this point, I believe we need a human, it has to be led by a human rights expert. I think it's the only way we're actually going to reform the system as well as find out what happened. You know, um, there is definitely a change in terminology um, with the government uh, and with our, with the new, with our, with uh, Leo Varadkar back as Taoiseach. You know, we've gone in the last couple of months from we're not having a public inquiry, we're going to have a look back to, you know, um, we'll do an in-depth internal look back. And now Leo Varadkar is saying, yes, we'll have a public inquiry. And then he said two days ago, um, it will be extensive. He's still not saying human rights. He's still not saying, but he's coming in that direction. But the reality of all of what's happening now in nursing homes, a lot of this stress and trauma could have been avoided for families if government had engaged and supported families to get answers. If government had listened to groups like ourselves back two years ago when we were saying, there's serious concerns here. Families are coming forward with all ranges of concerns. Uh, not just those groups like Age Action, the Irish Association of Social Workers are making submissions and saying, you know, people's rights are so infringed here. You know, people are not safe because protections are not there. But we were, everybody was ignored. So at this point, we can't go forward without going back. And we need something like the module-based Human Rights Inquiry in the UK that's going to look at each section and obviously in the area of um, what happened within the nursing homes, you know, we need to hear the voice of the residents. Um, you know, we had a, um, a presentation from a resident at our event, you know, where he had written a letter and he just talked about the impact on him and, you know, not being allowed to see his wife but he never wants to be told that he can never see his wife. And But not just that, but he spoke about how he felt cut off from life. He wasn't able to keep engaged with life. And that continued and continued. And we are still here in 2023 
randomly with people back stood at windows. Nothing has been learned. Um, and until we actually go back, see what was done, what was the experiences of families, who made the decisions, and how can we make sure that, we put, that the next policies that's put in place are ones that have the residents at the centre yeah. of it. You know, 100%. And, 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 and listen, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned uh, that um, uh, gentleman, Jim, Jim Foley. Uh, I think he's a resident in a, in a Dublin uh, nursing home. I thought his letter at that conference was just heartbreaking. And I saw uh, it got I saw it got published in um, it was online, I think I saw it. And it was a handwritten letter on what looked like a copybook uh, paper, yeah. you know, in his perfect handwriting. I missed my family so much during the pandemic. I went from having a visit every single single day from one of my daughters and my wife most days to having no face to face visits at all it was just utterly heartbreaking was that a very emotional conference Magella? oh it was yeah, you know yeah. and we're also in the in the middle of the third wave anniversaries so it was uh, it was an amazing day you know it was lovely to see families coming together but we would have had families ringing us very early that morning I'm sitting in my car and I just can't go I can't face it and these uh, are people who were bereaved two and three, almost three years ago, and they're saying it's as raw today as it was the day it happened. They're traumatized. They're traumatized. Yeah. Traumatized. Yeah. But it okay. was lovely to see staff standing up, you know. And I think, you know, I know we have the HSC whistleblower, but we also had staff from a private nursing home, and it was lovely that they were given that voice because it's a whole story. And if you actually at the conference, you had the residents, you had the staff, you had the families, then you had the professionals, you, had, you know, the chair of ISW, age action, and then we had the human rights analysis, and it's all those voices together that shows we need to address this now because what happened was wrong and we can't ever let it happen again. Okay, Magella, pleasure as always. Uh, thank you for that. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Patricia. Good morning thank to you, you. Magella Beatty, CEO of the advocacy group Care Champions. This week's Avenue newspaper contains an amazing photograph of a dolphin spotted by kayakers swimming in the River Bride. It's about two kilometres from Tallow Bridge. To discuss what many would say is an unusual sighting, I'm joined by Porik Hooley of the Irish Whale and a Dolphin Group. Good morning to Porik. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome. Just how unusual is this sighting? Yeah, um, it is an unusual uh, sighting record that has been validated by the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. However, every year we, I would say, get two or three sighting reports of either harbour porpoises or dolphins that are just in unusual places. So a lot of our, sometimes, you know, we get sightings of rare species in very typical places where you expect them. But this is definitely a common species because the common dolphin, as the name suggests, are commonly seen, but it's in a most unusual location. But it does happen from time to time. And, you know, what's underpinning it is, is a little bit of a mystery to us, you know, whether it is just genuinely a case of a dolphin that's just energetically moved, in this case, presumably from Yall Bay area, and it's just pushed up the black water and then it's turned left into the River Bride and it's just kept going because it's essentially lost, or whether there is something more strategic going on in the background, like at this time of the year, you've got small pelagic fish like sprat and herring that are coming in short to spawn, but they're not coming up into our rivers necessarily to spawn. So 
maybe, you know, you can't rule out the possibility that it's just found a small shoal of fish and it's just kept pushing them up further and further upstream until both fish and dolphin are lost, you know. But yeah. it, it's just a very unusual situation and we can but really speculate. And has there been any further sighting after the one from the kayakers? No, the, the only sighting that we have been able to stand over and confirm was that report, which goes back to Sunday. So you have to say that in the last three or four days, as, as nobody has actually seen it, um, that raises questions. It, it's either one of two things has happened. Either it has simply died and drowned and died, and it's just ended up stuck in a weir or in a culvert and nobody can see it because very few people get here. I mean, it's all surrounded by private land, that area. It's not like, you know, you can go to the coast where hundreds of people can go and witness a spectacle of whales or dolphins. Uh, there's really almost no access, I understand, to, to the water uh, because it, the land is it's privately owned. So it's a very inaccessible place. So if the dolphin did die, really, who, who would really know about it? Uh, so, I mean, uh, there is, of course, the... the uh, the best case scenario is that the dolphin, being smart animals, I mean, if it got there, you could argue if the animal was in healthy condition, if it got itself into that situation, in theory, there's no reason why it couldn't uh, turn around and start heading back east and hopefully reconnect with the black water and then follow that to its source, which is open water in Yall. But of course, we're in the realm of speculating. I know, and you've no way of knowing what condition the dolphin was in, whether it was young and healthy. Yeah, when people see footage of animals in these scenarios, the, the kind of default setting we have as a species is, oh God, poor thing, it looks in terrible condition uh, and it looks sick and it looks, you know, it, it won't survive. And I was looking at the video going, no, it seems to me, to me anyway, uh, from the short clip of video I saw, to be in reasonably good health, it seemed to be swimming quite strongly. It was blowing as we would expect. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I had no reason to believe, but I mean, that's based on a 20-second video. I know, I know, uh, I know. So, so we don't know, but all you can do is but hope that if the animal is in healthy condition, that, you know, there is a, at least a, a reasonable chance that it has found its way out, uh, as may be evidenced by the fact that nobody has... I mean, lots of people are looking for it and nobody has reported it. So uh, so there is that chance and we just can't confirm it. OK, and what is your advice to anyone who sees a dolphin, especially travelling inland in, in, in an unusual setting like this? Is it reported to you? Take video footage? Yeah, I, as always. I mean, and in particular in unusual situations like this, uh, we would ask people to go to the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group website or, uh, or download our free reporting app. And on both our app and our website, there's the facility to report a sighting or a stranding. And as I'm talking to you now, Patricia, I don't know if people will be, if they see it again, we hope they'll be reporting it as a sighting and not a stranding. Yeah. Because, of course, strandings are when animals are dead or dying on beaches, or indeed, in this case, on riverbanks. But hopefully it will be a sighting. But log on to the iwdg.ie. Is the first thing you'll see is report a sighting, report a stranding. And that just gives us, you know, the full picture because it asks relevant, you know, sometimes people send us in video and we don't know the date, we don't know the time, we don't know the location. But if people actually fill in a reporting form, we get all that important metadata, if you like, that helps give us the big picture. OK, well done. Well done. You have a great website. I was on it yesterday and lots of uh, sightings going up, which is fantastic. Uh, Padraig, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. 
Thanks a lot, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, Padraig Cooley of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Make sure next Tuesday morning that you're tuned to C103 because the C103 Summer Giveaway is coming very soon. We are hoping to send you and a friend on a fantastic sunshine holiday. How do you get the details? We'll find out more from next Tuesday morning only on C103. So make sure you're tuned in bright and early. Can I send congratulations to Kevin O'Connor in Canturk? Because Kevin has been announced as the January Person of the Month on behalf of the Canturk and District Community Council. And nomination forms and boxes are now in various locations in the town for someone who you feel deserves an award for helping the community. And I love these community-based awards because I love the idea of local people saying thank you, well done, we're acknowledging what you're doing. So well done to the Canturk and District Community Council for coming up with these awards. But the January winner, first winner for this year is Kevin O'Connor. Congratulations to you, Kevin. Now, some of your thoughts coming in. I spoke with Magella Beatty of uh, Care Champions in the last hour. We were talking about what's going on with the uh, alleged overcharging of uh, people in nursing homes. It goes right back to the 70s. Also mentioned what's going on with the disability allowance that was taken from people for a period of time. There's about 12,000 people they reckon are affected there. And when are we going to see an end to when when someone in within the civil service makes a mistake, the government finds out about it. When do they just put up their hand and say, we've made a mistake, let's sort it out. And if somebody's owed money, then somebody's owed money and please uh, pay them back. So we spoke with Magella Beatty of uh, Care Champions and uh, Patrick says, Patricia, I agree with Magella Beatty of Care Champions. It's a disgrace that any government should put families under such financial pressure to pay nursing home fees. The COVID pandemic has exposed serious issues of concern regarding all of our care settings. A public inquiry with the families who lost loved ones involved is so badly needed. What can be learned can put better safeguarding in place and the reform that's needed to better protect residents and patients going forward. And that's from Patrick. And then Kieran is listening to us online in Wexford and he said, Patricia, thank you and your station for keeping the ongoing call for a full human rights public inquiry into everything that happened in care uh, settings, especially private nursing homes during the pandemic. Also, thanks again to Magella uh, Beatty and the gang in Care Champions. The government have said on many occasions that mistakes were made. Well, we want the family's needs answered. What mistakes were made and who made the mistakes? Who was responsible? There has to be a human rights based public inquiry. So what happened to those thousands of people can never happen again. And that's from Kieran listening to us in Wexford and even here, Magella, they had that really powerful conference last weekend in DCU. I think it was really the first conference uh, where they actually people got to sit and tell their stories of what happened to them and to their loved ones during the pandemic in uh, nursing home uh, settings and I wasn't at the concert but I read a lot of a lot of what the contributors had to say and it was just really really emotional and I mean and out of it actually we had a listener who joined us earlier on in the week when I happened to mention it on Monday you know talking about her own family and she lost her own lovely mother and how family weren't able to get in and be with the mother when the mother passed away and it's just the trauma that's been left behind I mean it's hard enough to have to bury a much loved uh, parent and have to say goodbye to a much loved parent but not to be there and not to feel you were able to do your very best for that person it just it makes the bereavement process 
so much more difficult and so much more prolonged. You wonder how those people will ever get over the loss of their loved ones when they can't come to terms with the way a much loved mother or father or brother or sister uh, passed away. It, it really is is. It's a tough, tough journey for them. And I think this need for, you know, a human rights based public inquiry so that we can learn. I mean, the only way we can make sure it never happens again is to find out and identify exactly what went wrong, learn from that and then put the procedures in place to make sure that it never happens again. So thank you for those texts uh, coming into us. And then number of texts coming in. This is with regard to what we kicked off the programme with, with Councillor uh, Tony O'Shea and the modular homes that are proposed in Mallow and this whole thing about the consultation that needs to happen with local people when refugees arrive in an area. Someone says, uh, Patricia, the government have a very childish and what I feel is a divisive attitude. They seem to be putting a wedge within uh, communities. There's even mention that the far right are getting uh, involved. Someone else says, Barry in Ochnahini says, what is the government up to? Charity should begin at home. I feel the government are just doing a lot of this to make Ireland look good in other European countries. Ministers doing this are hoping for a promotion to Europe when their political careers end. And uh, Heidi is talking about the numbers who are coming into this country without documentation and without passports said we really can't have one law for some and another for others if I got on a plane I would have to have an up to date current passport so how come people are arriving into Ireland without a passport we don't know who they are or we don't know where they're from and that is I mean that is an ongoing issue and it is a problem and because it's happening my fear is that every genuine refugee then is all getting tired with the, with the one brush and that's what we've got to be very very careful I mean I heard you know Simon Harris yesterday talk about sinister motives that are moving into some of the protests around the country people have a right to protest and you have a right to air your views if you've got worries or concerns but when you get people who are travelling around the country infiltrating some of these protests and sort of whipping up this hatred against migrants and all kinds of lies are being put out there and that then instills fear in people fear that doesn't need to be there because in many cases they are actually imparting misinformation I mean one that came out in Dublin with the various protests that have happened in Dublin a story went around it seems there was a young 20 year old was sexually assaulted in Dublin straight away the story went around that it was an illegal migrant who was here without any paperwork nobody knew who this person was and there was this this level of anger that was whipped up against migrants and to such an extent that the Gardaí had to come out this week to say yes we are aware there was a sexual assault of an, on a 20 year old last weekend but it was nothing to do with an illegal migrant who they're actually looking for is a white Irish man because obviously the girl who got assaulted was able to give a very clear description of who had done the sexual assault but the Gardaí normally would never come out and do something like that but because it spread on social media like wildfire and suddenly every single person who wasn't Irish uh, was suddenly being was suddenly being called out as being rapists and paedophiles so you could just people have just got to be very very careful who is infiltrating some of these protests because I say Heidi's right people do have a right uh, to uh, protest but the bigger issue has got to do as well with the numbers that are coming into this country without the proper documentation actually I heard Simon Harris say that his department now is engaging with the airlines about the people that are arriving into Ireland without the travel uh, documents the latest figure 
figures are between January and November of last year, 5,074 people arrived in, Dub- in Dublin Airport. Now, they either arrived with false documentation or they arrived with no documentation. He went on to say that people who come to Ireland and seek protection have a right to do so. But equally, he said, people who come here that do not have a right to protection should get a very quick decision on whether they should remain here and if not, he says they should be asked to leave. I'd go a bit further, Simon, than say they should be asked to leave. They should be put on the plane that they arrived on and sent straight back. Now, he says he has met with the Gardaí this week in relation to some of the operations both here and abroad. He's been engaging with the Border Management Unit in relation to the International Protection uh, Office and the issue of the documentation is an issue that he intends to report to the Cabinet Committee next month and he's hoping to come up with a series of actions. And I don't know what these actions are going to be, uh, but he believes we can show that we have a balanced, compassionate, but a rules-based and efficient system. He says there is a legal obligation to have travel documents and therefore there is a role for the airlines and the police authority in the country that people are leaving from. And then obviously there is uh, also an obligation on our authorities when they arrive here. So he's very aware of it as well. And and I think because we have these 5,000 people who arrive and nobody knows who they are, where they are, that's then when people start saying, oh, they, they must all be criminals and why are they, why do they not travel on their own passport? Now, many of them, it seems, don't travel on their own passport because they're coming from uh, a country where they wouldn't be able to get international protection because there's nothing wrong in their own country and they're coming here for a better life and they're economic migrants more than anything. We're not saying that every one of the 5,000 odd who've arrived are criminals. They're not but some of them could be. Some of them could have a, a criminal history and that's why they don't want to show their hand and declare on their passport because it would be very easy to work out if they had a criminal history uh, or not. 0818103103 John Paul is taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs An experienced carpenter and labourer wanted for solar PV installations. You need to email accounts at cronenelectrical.com. The Donkey Sanctuary in Liscarra, they've got vacancies for a new arrivals groom and a veterinary surgeon. Full details are available on the Donkey Sanctuary's website. Qualified electrician and a first, second, third and fourth year apprentice all wanted for Cork City and County. CVs please to accounts at cronenelectrical.com. And a person is wanted for a shop retail position. There will be some back office work required as well. Please email info at at bandinoffice.com. And that's just a tiny few of the many jobs that we have available online. Just go to c103.ie forward slash forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Now, West Cork Independent Councillor Karen Coakley won unanimous support when she suggested that the council should write to the local government minister, Darrow O'Brien, requesting that certain special areas of conservation should be removed. And Councillor Karen Coakley joins me to explain why. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning to all the listeners. You're very welcome. Now, these SACs, as they know, as 
as they are known, are in certain harbours and inlets. Can you explain why some of these should be removed? I can indeed. I suppose just to give a little bit of introduction to it, the Special Areas of Conservation, the SACs, they were first introduced uh, at the behest of the EU. And you could almost argue that it was overzealous Irish civil servants put them in place and they actually put them all over the place. There was actually no reason behind it. Now, it makes no sense having them right next to working piers. It's simply not feasible. In fact, they should be hundreds of feet from piers, which would allow much-needed development to go ahead. So Baltimore, unfortunately, has been caught by this. And there is a new law due to come in. We've been informed that it's supposed to come in the first quarter of 2023, which would mean that some areas of Baltimore can actually be removed from the SAC so what that would mean is that much needed development could actually go ahead. Yeah, I suppose outline the problems at Baltimore Pier because they really highlight what was wrong with the way the special areas of conservation were introduced. Absolutely. I mean, if we have bad weather, it happens that you have fishing trawlers. Quite often they'd have to go to Union Hall, Kinsale, or as far, far away as Castletown Bear because the vessels aren't safe in Baltimore. Now, Baltimore is a working pier. There are great facilities, but unfortunately, without a breakwater, it's simply, it's, it's of no use to anyone because there's no security there. Now, Baltimore, not just being a working harbour, there's a lot of maritime activity there. And we also have to bear in mind that the ferries are an essential service. I mean, daily services, Shirk and Cape Clear, Hare Island, they would be the main ones. So when there is bad weather, you've got children that, you know, are back and forth from the mainland for school, and quite often the ferries just can't operate. And the other side of that is that if there is damage to any of these ferries, this is at the owner's expense. Whereas if a breakwater was in place, it would, it would save a lot of problems for people. In fact, the point is really, it's about improving the safety and accessibility of the harbour. So it would actually be beneficial to the whole community. Do you have any indication of what criteria was used to deem the areas special areas of conservation? I don't, and no. I don't think too many would, because yeah. when, the, when it was first introduced, the National Habitats Regulations of 1997, it was increased again in 2010, and it just seems that people almost got a line and just decided we're going to put an SAC in here. It didn't make any logical sense. And I mean, we need to have a common sense approach. Mm. My fear is that if safety measures aren't implemented by having this breakwater, that someday they will unfortunately be an accident and it will be too late then. And am I right in saying as well, didn't the the SAC cause problems in uh, Court McSherry, an area I know quite well, when it came to the dredging works? It did indeed, absolutely. I mean, there's there's no doubt SACs are are needed and, you know, we respect them in certain areas, but you can't have them in working harbours. And I mean, this isn't just about Baltimore. This is about areas all around West Cork and Ireland as well, that they have to be removed. They have to let development go ahead. Does it bestow any benefits to be declared? It doesn't. I mean, at the moment, basically, I mean, you know, this breakwater would save boats. And at the moment, because of the SAC and where it is, they're saying that the breakwater can't go ahead. Whereas if this new law comes in, uh, there are some different uh, laws in that, that they can actually not actually remove it, but just move some of the SAC, which means that some of this work could go ahead. I mean, this is about safety. Safety has to be paramount here. Yeah, and the fact that you said it was it was an EU decision back in uh, in the 90s. I mean, I'm assuming probably I wonder how other countries have been dealing with this and are other European countries that have coastlines that they having similar issues? Yeah, to be 
perfectly honest, I could only comment on locally. But if I could just make another point, I was a member of Baltimore Harbour Board from 2009 to 2014. It was disbanded in 2014. But at that stage, we were fighting for breakwater. And here we are now, 2023. Crazy. We're still fighting for it. And it just seems that, you know, common sense must prevail and the much-needed breakwater, it has to go ahead sooner rather than later. You know, people are working, they're living in Baltimore, living in the islands. They've waited long enough and it, it just has to go ahead now. And this, there, there's, there's this new, it's the Maritime Protected Area Bill that's due to be introduced. That's so correct. Th- this is the time that this you can get time. your concerns raised. Absolutely. There's a 57-page document. I did go through it oh. and not a lot of it made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. But there was one particular page and if anybody wants to check it, it was Head 14, Existing Authorisations and Number 5. And on that, it clearly states, and I might just give you one um, point on that, if it's okay. It says a public authority may grant an application for an authorised activity which does not comply with conservation objectives in the designation order where the public authority considers that. And there's numerous, numerous different reasons after that. So from reading that alone, that is enough to argue that Baltimore, this SAC has to be moved from there and that the breakwater has to go ahead. Do you know, have the council tried in the past to get the SAC removed? They have indeed, but it all depends on this law. This bill has to be brought in. Um, last Monday, or Monday 23rd, at the council meeting, we were told that this is expected to come in the first quarter of 2023. So I had urged the council officials at that meeting that once this is in, that we have to push and we have to go forward because, as I said, you know, I'd invite anyone, come down to Baltimore when there's gale force winds, watch the fishermen and they're trying to look after their trawlers the last bad storm there was actually a trawler broke up at the well, pier and it's it's a health and safety issue yeah and it's not fair god and it's for totally and unfair, for, for, said, for fishers that fishers that, fishers at the moment are having such a tough time as it is they're struggling they yeah. really are how would you like to look 5 years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And again, you know, we have a working pier, but without a breakwater there, they simply have no security. Uh, Ellen in Clonakilty says, I agree with everything that uh, Councillor Karen Coakley is saying. And um, while special areas of conservation are needed, those making decisions must realise that peers like Baltimore are needed to transport people to the islands and also for the fishing industry. We all welcome a need uh, tourism and we all know about protecting our environment. But we also have to realise that people live and work in West Cork and they need to be able to get on with their daily lives. And that, Absolutely, that just I agree with her point 100%. Yeah, that just, just about sums it up. Do you believe, Karen, you're going to have a bit of a fight on your hands? To be perfectly honest, I feel a little bit more positive now because, Great. you know, when this bill will come in, the Marine Protected Area Bill, I feel that going on the information that we have received, uh, these existing authorizations, that looking at those that the SAC has to be removed. So I do feel more positive, but... We've got to keep on shouting. It's not just about the fishing community. It's about everyone living all around the coast in West Cork. And it's about jobs. It's about tourism. But number one, it's about safety. Safety measures must be implemented. Okay, somebody, I don't know if you can answer this. Mars wants to know, is there any news on the Dursey cable car resuming? I don't have an update at the moment. Okay, all right. Sorry, my my, my sincere apologies. I believe Easter 23, that is what we were told uh, two weeks ago, I've had no other updates since then. Okay, Easter 23 is Easter's Easter. April. Is April. Is, exactly. Yeah, okay, so it'll be uh, hopefully up and running because uh, I, know, I know people on Dorsey desperately want that uh, cable car oh, back. Oh, absolutely. It's a vital service. All right. Really keep fighting the fight on this I one, Karen, and keep us posted. Thanks a million. And just to say, I hope everyone enjoys the long weekend and just to stay safe on the roads. Okay, thanks a million. Thanks bye again, bye. Bye bye. That you. is uh, Karen, uh, Councillor Karen Coakley uh, joining us from uh, West Cork on that special area of uh, conservation uh, you know and I do think she's right this idea of some overzealous Irish civil servant you know being given a direction at the behest of the EU and told we need these special areas of conservation they sound fantastic and somebody gets out a map and draws a kind of a line around and says okay that would be the special area of conservation and it's probably never even been to Baltimore or to Court McSherry as I say they had huge problems with their SAC when it came to the dredging uh, works and that's where you need the information on the ground from the local people to say we're thinking of putting in a special area of conservation what's going to work here particularly when it is a working harbour 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls texts and whatsapp so welcome to 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie now tonight all eyes on the Late Late Show when Ireland's entry for this year's Eurovision Song Contest which will be held in Liverpool will be selected casting his eye over this year's contest is our Eurovision correspondent and that is Johnny O'Mahony good afternoon to you Johnny Hello, Trisha. How are you? And I'm very well. Now, six songs. Are all of them contenders in, in your eyes? Um, I don't think so, to be honest with you. I think there's there's two that stand out for me anyway, and there would be um, Wild Youth and Leela Jane. Um, whether they'd win Eurovision is another thing. But um, at this stage, we're probably looking for a qualifier rather than a winner to um, to be able to be in the final in Liverpool. 
Yeah, and a lot, I know look, looking at the papers uh, today, obviously there's a lot in the papers today. There's a lot of emphasis being put on the, the guy from the Sex Pistols, isn't there? John Lydon, yeah, yeah, there is. And, um, it, is that it seems unfair? Be, I think it is unfair in a sense because it, it, you see what will happen is people, there'll be curiosity and people tune in and say, oh, that's not what I was thinking it was going to be or whatever. You know, um, there's... I, I sometimes I wonder was he put in there for for the publicity alone, you know, to create an interest. Because if, if you speak to anyone or if you, anybody talks about your song tonight, John Lydon and PIL and Sex Pistols comes up in conversation. So it's definitely generated an interest in that respect. And if the running order is as we've we've seen up to now that they're in final place, it'll mean people will watch just to see them, you know. So um. It, there, there is a curiosity there. I think it's unfair. All right, that you know, it's is it an advantage? I don't think it is. But um, yeah, and it, at I the know, same time, and and the song I know is is an emotional song for him uh, because he's singing about his his wife who has uh, Alzheimer's. He's Alzheimer's. Her, he's her main carer, and he is hoping as well that the song will you know just shine a spotlight on Alzheimer's. So that there's, there's absolutely, and I think I think it will. But is that enough to win your song? Is that enough to win Eurovision? Like the majority of people watching, will they pick up on that? You right, it might that information might be out there but does it come across in the song and do pe- are people interested enough to vote for it in that respect you know so it, it's there, there's there's um plus and minuses with that and uh, pros and cons and uh, you know you have to look at it in that context but um yeah it's going to create it, it has created an interest and tonight is will we'll, you know we'll, we'll see what what pays off tonight okay and do you know what what, what way the betting is looking who who are people tipping at this stage I haven't I haven't heard any things now, but it, like it, it it's all about the performance tonight. And um, you know, when no matter what there's been Eurovision performers in the past and live on Eurovision that were tipped to win and end up in, near the end for whatever reason. And it it's all down to tonight, you know, what what you hear on the what we've heard up to now. But then when you see them performed live and you know, can people sing live? Do they sing well? Is the performance good? Is it, you know, it, it, it that is a lot to take in and or to, to, a lot of bearing on it. So it's anybody's game tonight and it, it's it's down to how, how the performance goes. Tonight there is a televote, there's a, um, in, or we have national juries and then there's an international jury as well that will um, bring in votes from around Europe. And I don't know how that's made up at this point, but I'd say it'll be just like there'll be, if, you, if it's one person or a few people from different countries that will give their um, feedback, I suppose, and their votes, and that will just kind of test the water as well on the European level. So there's three strands to the voting then tonight. Yeah, yeah. and uh, But I'd say what will happen, if my memory serves me right, they did the same last year, and they had the, the studio panel as well, which they're not voting tonight. There is a studio panel, and again, I don't know who they are. But um, the international jury will whether that will come in separately or join into the jury votes um is i i don't know but it will be brought back down then kind of the final thing will be the televote and that'll that'll rate everything they'll they'll be given votes based on the 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 national the uh, the, the, the public votes i suppose mm. and and are you are you in a, a fan of the public being allowed to have their say Oh, I think, yeah, I think it's, you know, it, it that's how all these, um, any, any reality shows or any any shows like that, the public vote is um, is important. And at the end of the day, 
um, to reduce uh, to kind of keep it down to just a jury of maybe 10 or 12 people doesn't speak for the country, you know. So, I mean, it can be all put back to, well, you voted for it. People are complaining, saying, oh, we didn't qualify. It should have been this. It should have been that. You know, if, if we're voting, if the public are voting, it's not, it, you know, it, it's down to us to say, right, well, yeah. you know, the, the, the cream rises to the top and the, the, the most popular is what wins in the end. And that, that's how it should be. Except it was the public who voted for Dustin that time. I mean, they, they got it wrong. They <laughs> well, got it wrong right. on that one. I, I I think Dustin's popularity at the time exactly. was it was they were exactly. voting for Dustin more than the song. So I think this year it will be the song because what right, we know John Lydon, but the majority of the others are kind of they're 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 not as known as pe- people they wouldn't get the, the majority vote for, for who they are. Now, I read in one of the papers yesterday that our, our entry will not be chosen on the Late Late Show next year for 2024. And we're going to what they're proposing is a standalone Eurosong contest. Would that be better, do you think? I think it would be. I don't think the Late Late is the right vehicle for Eurosong, to be honest with you. Um, the, you know, you, you just want to get a broad audience. And I don't think, you know, that. The right, the late late has a big viewership, but I don't think it's um it's right for this. And I mean, why wait till next year? Why didn't they do it this year? But I have to say, they went out and they, you know, they there are six kind of you know standalone songs and six, you know, it, it's it's a varied they're varied entries this year. And you know, I suppose if if this, these are the songs that were entered and um, you know, a standalone contest, I think will be best. And it didn't do us any causes any problems when we were qualifying or when, when we were winning you know that that's how how the songs were chosen mm. over the years when when Ireland won so I mean we used to have yeah, the good say, old we used to remember the good old national song contest it was called the national song contest yeah, yeah. and then it changed to your songs so whether it's your song or national song contest it would be good and um you know have a shorter show like the late late is about half nine about two hours tonight you know for six songs and it's going to be stretched out whereas it might be you know, better have, have an hour show or something of yeah, six songs yeah, and, yeah. you know, just, just you know, re- um, make it stronger and more more of an impact. And uh, I, I, I would be all for that, to be honest with you. And maybe not so much Ryan Tuberty, but bring in new, younger um, presenters or, you know, it, it, give it give it something, something new. And um, I, I think that'd be that'd be the, the way to go forward. But we don't know. Ireland are in the first half of the first semi-final in May. Good or bad? So it's not great, to be honest with you, because, no, it, the, it, first of all, we need to qualify, but it depends on if we, they could be the very first song, they could be the, you know, in sixth or seventh position. It kind of, it's 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 not great, to be honest with you, but um, that's, that's where they are, and that's they just have to work with that and make the best of it. And I know, know I know the bad news about being in the first semi-final is that the UK and Australia are not voting in that they won't be voting for us, so yeah. that that that's a big, um, I suppose you know it, it's a disappointment, yeah, that uh, because they would have been countries that would have voted for us in the past, and you know that you know there'd be a bigger Irish contingent. But it's to, the ex, to it's the expats that would be voting for us, so that's yes, that's that is a bit exactly. that is a bit yeah. of um, a, a bummer. Um, Dennis wants to know how do you buy tickets to attend the Eurovision Song Contest? Seeing as there's only across they the water be, in Liverpool, yeah. They'll be going on sale soon. We usually like there are other years they would have been sold in October, November, December. 
Um, there's no news about tickets yet, but it's expected pretty soon. And there will be a, a, a day, say, they might say Friday the 10th of February at 9 p.m. or 9 a.m. And it's a, it's a Ticketmaster or, you know, the, the country's equivalent of Ticketmaster usually. And it's on those days, it's it's just the look of the draw. If do, we get allo- do we get allocated? Does each country get allocated a certain number of tickets, or is everybody in Europe well, each in the one? delegation? No, each delegation does. But on the the live ticket sale, it's just the tickets go on sale, and it's bam bam. Oh. You know, if you're lucky, you get them. <laughs> Good and luck it, with that. And that's how it is. <laughs> yeah, and there's been years we've been, you know, a few of us we've been sitting waiting to go live, and um, you know, just. One person could get through and the others don't, whatever. So it's it's just pure and simple look. And um, that's how it will be again this year. But th- there is no information yet. And then, beca- be, like, say you've what, tw- f- 36 countries, I think, in total this year. So 36 delegations will get so many tickets each. And then, you know, it's um, the rest is just general public. And it's pure and simple look. How, and how there are and there then, are de- like your good self there are dedicated Eurovision fans who go every single year so it is a real scramble uh, for the, for those tickets will it have a Ukrainian feel to it Johnny yeah it, it very much so the team was announced earlier this week and it's um the team um is united by music and it's I'm going to read this because it's um it's the new slogan demonstrates the unique partnership between the United Kingdom, Ukraine and the whole city of Liverpool to bring the Eurovision Song Contest to audiences across the globe and the incredible power of music to communities together. It also reflects the very origins of the context, the contest developed to bring Europe closer together through a shared television experience across different countries. Now, I heard uh, somebody saying yesterday, which I thought was very funny. Um, this is Liverpool, remember, or it's in Liverpool, and the team is united by music. And they said the Liverpoolians won't be too happy with United in the, oh, in the <laughs> it's the, You know, they they would never Liverpool would never use United no, in no, anything no, but this no. United by music. So Europe, or Liverpool, imagines they will be united by music as well. But uh, it's the whole of UK. So yeah, it's it's a very much Ukraine. Even the logo, where you have the V in the middle as a heart usually has the host country's um, flag in that, but the the logo this year has the Ukrainian flag Does it? in it, okay. as okay. well as the UK, the UK. And yeah, and the whole, the colour, um, the colours of the um, the logo and the team are kind of the UK colours and Ukraine. So um, okay. it, it's, yeah, it's very well done. And um, they're not forgetting the, that Ukraine won it last year and just unfortunately can't, can't no, host it's, it. Yeah, it, it's, it's a partnership between UK and Ukraine and they had the live draw, the allocation draw on Tuesday night and they had uh, school kids from Ukraine that are now living in Liverpool part of the, oh, the process nice. as well. Was, so, you know, nice there's, there's, yeah, and there's talk that one of the presenters will be from Ukraine, maybe one of the presenters that presented in 2017. Okay. That's yet to be announced, but we don't know. Uh, someone says, could you ask Johnny, does he feel Brooke Scullion was robbed last year? 100% yeah, I thought Brooke was brilliant, yeah. She yeah. should have she should have qualified, but there was problems with the, the voting last yeah. year. Yeah, there was problems, and I think that did affect, uh, affect um, Brooke. And, and the Irish chance. I, she should have qualified last year. It was nothing down to Brooke. I, I think it was the the voting um, irregularities that happened. And six countries had, you know, there were there was penalties for, for the countries involved. So um, whether that's 
going to happen again. We don't know. But there's, you know, I think they've tied it down, Morgan. There's, there's more. I mean, people think, why would you bother? <laughs> you know, but I know, these I know. things happen. And yeah. that's it is what it is. And it, it's, um, you know, they're, they're aware of it. Um, but definitely Brooke was robbed. And, you know, who's to say it's not going to happen again with other countries or that it hasn't happened previously? She'll make up for us by winning Dancing with the Stars because she's doing very Absolutely. well. She's doing very yeah, well on that. And uh, finally, have other many other countries selected their songs? Yeah, there's there's a few. I think there's about 10 or 11. But this month now, right, Eurovision.tv, all the inf- uh, information is on it. And... Um, you know, there's lots of semi-finals and you know, um, in 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 um, semi-finals and finals on over the next month. And uh, they, the, the Sweden have are starting tomorrow night. Spain has a big um, final on next Saturday as well. Um, or no, tomorrow I think. Yeah. And there's in like Italy Festival of San Remo where Eurovision was born out of. That's starting this week. Um, so from now up to around mid March. Is the, is the national final season as they call it? And as you and, say, um, some of the countries put huge effort in, into their huge, shows. Like yeah. Sweden, especially we, we say every year that Sweden is is as big as Eurovision. And, itself. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, listen, we're all eyes on the late late uh, tonight, Johnny. As always, a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. You too. And thanks, thanks for joining pleasure. us. You're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Huge buzz of excitement because it was announced this week that Rod Stewart is going to play live at the Marquee on the 20th of uh, June. And stay tuned because next week we may have some tickets to give away to get you to live at the Marquee. We'll give you more details after the bank holiday uh, weekend. Now, a lot of commentary coming in. Firstly, let me start with the Eurovisions following our chat in the last hour in advance of us selecting our song for this year's Eurovision that's happening uh, tonight. Somebody says by text, as soon as Ireland realise what a waste of time and money it is entering the Eurovision, the better. Says this texter, no faith in all, at all in Ireland doing well. Derek and Valley Faham, I agree with Johnny, your, um, Johnny Omani, our Eurovision correspondent. I like the Late Late Show, but don't think it's the right setting for the choosing of the Eurovision. Uh, the, the, but the Eurosong, I uh, but the Euro song should not be a part of it. Uh, a standalone show and make it look big. It would attract everybody's attention and might get people more interested in it. Fidelma in Dunmanway says, I also agree a new format for Euro song is needed to get everybody involved. She would like to put forward Doreen Ger- Gerherty to present it. She's doing so well on Dancing with the Stars. She is. She's doing fantastic on it. And Marion in Mill Street says, does Johnny know where the Eurovision is going ahead? OK, Johnny's off the line. But John Paul checked the grand final the Eurovision Song Contest will take place in the Liverpool Arena. If anybody knows Liverpool, it is next to the River Mersey alongside the Albert Dock. So the Liverpool Arena is where it's going ahead. Shay says, Patricia, wouldn't one think the penny would have dropped by now for RTE to stay well away from the Eurovision Song Contest? They sunk that ship long ago when they insulted the contest and indeed every musician and every singer and every songwriter by sending a puppet, a turkey, in a shopping trolley that sang out of tune purposely. It is nothing short of mockery to the contest, the contestants, and it was a huge embarrassment for the people of this country. They still won't give up trying 
trying to raise that ship from the depths of the ocean. Shea says that have a better chance of raising the Titanic and saving it again than Ireland ever claiming victory at the Eurovision. No matter how great the song would be, no disrespect to any artist, musician or songwriter. And there's a lot of people I think will agree with you on that. And Jim wants to know about the international jury. Will they be made up of Irish people living abroad or will it be foreign people living in other countries? If so, I'm thinking, would they not deliberately pick the worst song so Ireland will have a less chance of winning? I know it's only one part of the voting system. I'm sure they wouldn't do that, uh, Jim. We'll find out more about the Eurovision uh, jury uh, tonight because it was a new one on me. It was only when Johnny was explaining the format for for tonight. And then when I played this uh, clip from each of the songs in a kind of a little montage, someone says, my God, is that the best they could come up with for Eurovision? before the song's even selected people are not happy with it okay a lot of people as well commentating on the number of refugees and migrants that are in this country and a lot of people of course talking about the housing situation and the lack of housing that we have in this country to house our own Ger feels we need a day of protest uh, against the government. He feels it's time that we the Irish put down our tools for one day and tell the government we've had enough. We have had enough of overcrowded hospitals, overcrowded schools, no immigration policies in the UK. They're not leaving any more in. That's why so many are now deciding to come to Ireland. These are the people looking for international protection. Is it too late now to solve this problem? Thousands of Irish are leaving every month. These are our young, educated in their 20s. They're heading to Australia and Canada and even the UK. They might live Listen, if we all down tools, says uh, Jer. Hi, Patricia, just listen to the news and I am sick with anger. The government have said they will get beds and homes and accommodation for Ukrainian people. Patricia, what about the Irish homeless? What about the Irish who are waiting to be housed already? I'm so angry about this. Can the government please give all those Irish homeless a place to live first and then you can house with whatever's left. That's from a North Cork listener. Martin says, Patricia, I wonder if I put up an extension to my house, would I be exempt? Because I think some of us Irish are actually a lot worse off than the Ukrainian people. It's awful living in a country where non-national people seem to be getting everything. It's wrong and it's inhumane. People of Ireland need to stand up now for our rights. It's not fair in us Irish. We have homeless people who have nothing. We have ever increasing prices and we have a government who are only concerned about how they are looking to the rest of the world. What about us, the Irish, says uh, Martin. Jim says, Patricia, if this uh, government don't have a clue, listening to a TD talking about the far right now that are making matters worse. They're stirring up false information about the refugees coming into Ireland, particularly those coming in with no documentation to say who they are and where they're really from. But Patricia, how do they get onto a plane or a ship without showing a passport? So if their documents are checked getting on board, surely you can have somebody to check them when they get off. Or is that far too simplistic an answer for our politicians? If they don't have any documents when leaving the ship or the plane, then put them straight back onto the ship or the flight and make the airline are the ship responsible for them. That is from uh, Jim. And as I say, I did hear Simon Harris yesterday say there next month he'll be coming up with some kind of a, a system or some kind of plans to try to stop the numbers that are coming in here without any documentation. And then, hi, Patricia, do people forget that we, the Irish, had to emigrate to many different countries and we weren't always met with a welcome? I honestly think that we, the Irish, should be reminded that we too were emigrants once and still are, 
let's be honest. And that's signed a Cork City carpenter who spent many years as an emigrant. And we all will remember those uh, sayings uh, that we heard from people of a certain generation who went to England and there were signs of no blacks, no dogs, no Irish people can clearly remember that. But our problem is it's the divide now that we're having here in this country between the Irish and and between the migrants that are coming in. But in particular, you worry about the Ukrainian refugees who at the end of the day, and I keep saying it, are fleeing war. And I did see the Irish Network Against Racism, one of their directors, Shane O'Curry says that the problem that we're having and that we're seeing in this country, particularly with some of the anti-racism protesters that are happening around the country, he said the problem lies in decades of neglect of communities by the government. He believes that much of the anger on the streets is a reaction to cuts to services like community development, lack of housing security and the cost of living and job insecurity. He said all these factors are combining to make people's lives insecure and anxious and that is making them feel frustrated and uh, angry. And he said without people articulating their frustrations, uh, cynical manipulators then step into the void. They start spreading rumours. They start spreading mistruths and then they direct their anger towards the scapegoats in the community. And of course the scapegoats in the community then are the immigrant population are, are the refugees and that's just all so wrong and that's that's where we have to get the, bo- the bottom of that I mean I don't know if you saw particularly some of the protests uh, extreme protests that came out of Dublin I saw some of them online there was online videos that was showing violence being threatened against migrants and violence being threatened against Gardaí you know standing outside of where migrants were living with children and saying you know we'll burn you out I mean how frightening must that be for people that are inside in those in in those buildings and people outside not knowing the reasons that the people who were inside uh, were it's just you know the government they really have to do something but i do think the you know the crux of the problem is we have a housing situation in this uh, country that has been neglected for years and so when we when you know as some people are saying when, when we you see modular houses going up for ukraines why can they not be given uh, to the uh, irish and the department of housing is working on a model to try to engage communities a bit better uh, before migrants arrive i mean that's what they're getting so wrong but i, I did see darrow o'brien saying the problem is that many people turn up very quickly and that the timeline can can be uh, tight but it's when busloads of people arrive, particularly busloads of single men arrive and that's when anger and frustration really hits and that's then when you have that extreme right who start spreading all kinds of rumours like that rumour of that young 20 year old who was sexually assaulted that it was done by a migrant and it wasn't but of course everybody wants to believe the worst of the people that are coming into this country unfortunately 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls you can text your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Social dancing goes ahead in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic uh, tonight. Dancing is from 9 pm to Barry O'Hanlon. Admission 10 euro, and it does include teas. Ballinhasic Parish presents the Celtic Tenors in Goggin Hill Church uh, tonight at 8 o'clock. Tickets are available from the Parish Office, Cotterell's Gala in Ballinhasic, Daybreak in Ballygarvan are through Eventbrite and it is a fundraising concert to reduce parish debt. 
Bingo takes place in Mallow GAA Complex tonight. Jackpot 4,800 euro. Kildallery Bingo is also on 8 o'clock in the store at the Creamery Yard. Jackpot 1,320. And a fundraising table quiz for Court McSherry St. Patrick's Day Parade will be held in the Pierhouse Bar in Court Mac tonight at 8 o'clock. Sorry, it's at half eight. Tables of four, 40 euro per table. Fantastic prizes for the quiz and raffle on the night. A Mallow Community Health Project are looking for volunteers to help Syrian families to integrate into the Mallow community and to improve their conversational English. For more information, you can contact the Syrian Befriending Programme Coordinator. That's Pauline 087 433 5047. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is Court today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Now to go to the phone lines where Eileen joins me. Good afternoon, Eileen. Good afternoon, Patricia. You're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, you have a bit of a dilemma that I, I don't think, an issue that I don't think I've ever, it's not a dilemma, it's an issue that I don't think I've ever come across before. You got an appointment in the post from Cork University Hospital asking you to attend a clinic yesterday morning at 10 o'clock in the morning. That is correct. Now, tell me what happened when you got to Cork University Hospital. This isn't the first time it has happened. I'm attending to you here 16 years. 2006, I started. Now, when I arrived, I went to the reception desk. I handed over the letter and she said, you don't have any appointment. I said, what do you mean? I said, I have the letter there in front of me. And she said, no, you don't even have that doctor. She said, you have no appointment today, go on away. Now, I, w- I am a lady from the Manway, so I was after driving nearly 40 miles up to be told to go away. So there, now, have you attended this doctor before? No. And you, when did you receive the letter from CUH about this appointment? Well, Bef- the letter is dated the 20th of December. So you got it before Christmas. I did. And it clearly states Thursday, 2nd of February, 2023 at 10 o'clock in the morning. And it is for a special diabetic clinic in the CUH Cedar building. And you went to the right building and everything you did. I did. I did. I went to the right building. I handed the letter in and she said, no, you don't have any appointment. And could she see on the booking that you could she see on her computer that you have an appointment on another day with this doctor? She no, she gave me another letter for an appointment in May, but it's not with that doctor. She said, you don't have any appointment until May and you have it at 1430, Tuesday the 2nd of May, in the same building. But with a different doctor? But yes, with, with a different doctor. But it, uh, Dr. It, Halloran. It's, it says on this letter that you got Christmas week, it says um, 
and giving you enough notice, like sending it out in plenty of time, saying, look, you've got this appointment at the start of February and they're giving you enough notice. But it says, please arrange a blood test with your GP two weeks before your scheduled outpatient appointment. So did you go in and get bloods done? Yes. All for no avail? Exactly. And was it your, your doctor put you forward for this appointment, Eileen? Yeah. You obviously are, you have diabetes, have you? I'll tell you now, I don't have diabetes. What it actually is, I have brain tumours. And because I have the brain tumours, they put me on a steroid called heart to cortisone. And the heart to cortisone produces a sugar level. So because of the sugar level being in the body, they're treating me for the sugar, for the diabetes. If I wasn't on the steroid, the heart to cortisone, I would not be producing sugars. Extra insulin, yeah, yeah. And have you been at, at a diabetic clinic in CUH before? Oh, yeah. God, it's crazy, isn't it? And did, did, did you say, because I said it's bizarre because I've never heard of it before. Are you saying it happened to you before? Yes, it has. I'm attending CUH since 2006. But um, no, I, but are you saying that you got an appointment and then you went up and they said, sorry, you don't have an appointment? Correct. That has happened to you before? Yes, it has. So... After I coming home yesterday, um, I decided that what I'll do is any appointment I'd have, I'll phone the day before to make sure that it is going ahead. And there was no explanation as to why you got a letter out. Clearly, all your information is on it. Yes, uh, it is. Your date of birth, that the, your your address, the name of the consultant the type of clinic, the location, the appointment, all of that is correct, except on their system, it isn't. Yes, there's nothing. She said there was nothing on their computer. She apologised? No. She told, the only thing she told me is that the doctor's name that's on the letter isn't even a doctor of mine. So you got sent out an appointment for a specialist that you don't, you you shouldn't be, you're not going to be attending anyway. Correct. Okay, listen, we, I know, we, we've done the usual. We're after getting on to uh, CUH. I imagine they're going to come back and say, uh, due to due to GDPR and all of that, they won't be able to discuss individual cases. But we just want to find out how can this happen? How can somebody be sent out an appointment very clearly for a specific clinic, and then to get up there to be told, no, no, you, you're not even a patient of that particular doctor. It's just seems rather bizarre uh, to me and then having to travel and do all of that yourself and, and, and you did uh, OK listen we'll let you know if we hear back anything from CUH um, yes. Eileen and look after yourself OK and as I said to Patricia I'm blind in one eye and I've got a cataract in another and I did drive up myself and it is hard going Should Should you be driving Eileen? Nobody has told me I shouldn't. All right. And are, are you are, are you scheduled to get the cataract? Um, yes, I am on their list. 
And I have told them if there was a cancellation, I'd jump at it. Now, I did ask the question, would I go to Belfast? But they're telling me there's no follow-up treatment for Belfast to hold tough. The doctors in CUH told me that, hold that, told me to wait for a cancellation in CUH. How long have you been waiting? So far, it's about two months. All right, you're not waiting that long. You're not. You no, could, yeah, not. yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Listen, you have to take the advice um, from your doctor, and hopefully they'll speed it up. Because if your if your sight has gone in one eye, the one with the cataract needs to be done so that that you have some some kind of clear vision. All right, Eileen. Listen, look after yourself. Thank you and, so uh, much, Patricia. And, and as if, if and when we hear anything, we certainly will get back to you. It's just as I say, I've never, now according to Eileen, she reckons it has happened to her uh, before to get an appointment to go to that length. God love her to get up to the hospital to be told, sorry, you're not even a patient of that particular uh, doctor. Seems crazy, absolutely crazy uh, to me. 0818103103. John in Cove, some of your calls coming in. John in Cove, that Eurovision rubbish should not be held. When Dustin the Turkey lost the vote, there's a lot of Dustin the Turkeys taking part in the Eurovision uh, again and we, uh, 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 taking part in the Eurovision every year. Uh, John also wonders, will Ukraine win again this year with a sympathy vote? Plus, you have to ha- be a gymnast to win the Eurovision to perform on stage. Is it time to get rid of it? Well, that question comes up every year, but literally millions, and I mean millions of people across uh, Europe and Australia, still huge in Australia, watch it every single year. So, of course, while so many people are watching it and there's money to be made for the television companies out of it, you can be guaranteed they're certainly not going to get rid of it. And in Ballydehob, this is on emigrants, when the Irish went to other countries, they worked hard for a living. And they were er, they earned everything to put a roof over their heads. There were no handouts like the handouts that are being given to asylum seekers in this country. That is the big difference uh, between the Irish going abroad and somebody else uh, says uh, this is in response to the Cork City carpenter who said to people who are giving out about immigrants coming to this country remember we were all immigrants once and he was an immigrant he worked overseas for many years and knows how badly the Irish were treated somebody says I wonder would that Cork City carpenter feel the same if he was waiting for a house or if he knew somebody who had been waiting a very long time to be housed he would want to take a long hard look at what is going on in Ireland I'm not racist but enough is uh, enough and as I say that was the, the point I made about the the uh, network for racism in this country are making the very same point. It's because of everything that has gone wrong in this country from successive governments. And that's what's uh, obviously causing this rise of anti migrant feeling, which is 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 wrong against the migrants as, as well. Oh, wait, one eight one oh three one oh three. John Paul's taking your course. Oh, can I say happy birthday to Tade Barrett in Churchtown? I'm told that Tade is seven tomorrow and his nan in Canturk wants to wish him a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Tade. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And some movie suggestions for this bank holiday weekend. Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joins us. Good morning to you. Oh, good How afternoon. You good afternoon at this stage. Okay, two movies The Fable Mans and The Shotgun Wedding. That's the Jennifer Lopez one. Okay, let me take a quick trailer from The Fable Mans. Movies are dreams that you never forget. What kind of movie are we going to make? Oh, 
you love those people, huh? Your sisters, your mama, your papa. Except this I think you love a little more. You dismiss what he does that's playful or imaginative. You can't just love something, you also have to take care of it. It's more important than your hobby. Can you stop calling it a hobby? Family, art, blood. It'll tear you in two. Everything happens for a reason. What was your favorite part? This is the Steven Spielberg. Yes, it's about his life as a, a young man and basically the birth of a, a, a brilliant director and, um, and why it came about and how it came about. And um, it starts from a very, very uh, early age. Uh, his parents uh, take him to his first film. Uh, my first film was down in the All Cinema back in the 60s when I was about six and when I went to see... Um, uh, Mary Poppins and was just blown away by it and it was the same with him he went along to see Cecil B. Mills, uh, The Greatest Show on Earth and uh, uh, during the film uh, there's a train crash and he just thinks it's the most incredible thing he's ever very ever seen so he asks his parents could uh, he start making uh, home movies and he asks for a camera his mother who is a concert pianist and uh, has very, very kind of dreamlike kind of personality and could see his enthusiasm uh, buys him a camera uh, they also buy him a train set which of course he then proceeds to destroy constantly by filming it from a, a, a crash from all different angles. His father, who was a very kind of conservative kind of man, uh, who was um, a kind of mathematical genius and uh, was part of uh, IBM and the um, introduction of people to computers, uh, oh. yeah, didn't had a very different kind of viewpoint and said constantly to him, look, you know what I mean, could you go into teaching maybe? That's a very noble profession rather than this hobby. And Spielberg would constantly remind him, no, this is not a hobby. I'm very passionate about it and this is something I want to do. So when <laughs> he crashes the, um, uh, the trains, the, the toy trains and his father's going, we buy him this really expensive train and then he destroys it. And uh, But of course his mother has a very, very different uh, viewpoint and kind of understands this kind of artistic kind of passion. God, well, wasn't it lucky he had his mother? It's an extraordinary um, um, relationship uh, throughout uh, the film with him and his mother, who was a very, very interesting character. I mean, uh, she was uh, quite eccentric. There's a scene in the film, for example, where there's a tornado nearby. <laughs> she gathers all the kids into the car, drives towards the uh, tornado just to, so that the kids could experience this extraordinary thing. Of course, Paul Dano, who's playing the father, is standing back going, what the heck is going on? Yeah. And at one stage, one of the kids going, it's it's a bit dangerous, yeah. but that was his mother, and that was the kind of thing that she did. Now there are th things in the film where you might think, "Oh, come on!" I mean, that's a bit ridiculous. You know what I mean? Uh, it says it's semi-autobiographical, okay. but apparently everything, nearly everything you see on screen, is pretty much his uh, as his life as a young man. For example, she brings home a monkey at one stage, and that actually happened. I saw an interview with Spielberg and his mother years back where they talked about this. Where she, yeah, she said, "Yeah, I brought back a monkey," and so <laughs> as you do, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so the film then uh, talk, you know, he then. Started starts making these kind of whole movies uh, with uh, all of his kids, which I did as a kid because uh, I, when uh, back in the 70s, we had... Camcorder. Uh, we had a, we, well, it, it was kind of a Cine 8, very much a oh kind yeah, of Bernie Park. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, it was silent, but it was in colour. It was a wind-up camera. So we used to make movies in our back garden. One of them uh, was um, an award winner, which I uh, awarded to myself, called The Killer of the Campers, which was an incredibly violent movie we made with all the kids in the back garden, uh, which um, used a, a great deal of t tomato ketchup, which, oh. uh, much to my 
my frustration of my, my mother. And uh, so, I, yeah, so I can identify completely and totally. Now, I yeah. didn't go on and make movies. I just ended up kind of talking about them. And so, um, you know, my heart was kind of warm just the whole time, just watching this and watching it because he was... Um, he was kind of a very much kind of an introverted young man. He spent a lot of time on his own, and so therefore saw movies as his way of kind of, um, 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 you know, just experiencing um, kind of a life that he didn't have as, as a young man. And um, you know, the, the the idea of a broken family has played quite a part in his early films. For example, with Close Encounters, yeah. and and with and E. T. and um, and so. From from straight up from but but from very very early on, you could see that this boy had talent. And what he would do is he would show his movies in in the local town halls, and people would get very very excited about it and think, wow, they're absolutely great. And what he would do is because he was small and because he was Jewish, he was kind of picked on, and so therefore he would uh, he would cast a lot of the school bullies uh, in these to get them on side to get them on his uh. side. The film then moved to Los Angeles, and 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 that then of course he was in the center of kind of the movie world, and the film kind of then gets to when he's about 15 and then decides to stop, which was the only, well, there were very few things that kind of frustrated me about the film because I would love to have, you know, seen more of him from about 15 to 20 because at 20 years of age, he managed to get his way into uh, Universal. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's directing Joan Crawford in Night Gallery. And, the, you know, and, and, and the crew are horrible to him because there are all these men in suits and ties. And he's, in their a, 50s. he's a young lad. And she had to stand up and basically threaten the crew to say, if you mess with him, you're messing with me. And then he was directing uh, Columbo and he was directing um, I never, Marcus Welby. I never realised that. Did he do Marcus Welby MD? At the age of 20 years of age, do you know what I mean? The people warmed to him and his enthusiasm because I think everybody saw that this boy had, had talent. extraordinary amount of talent. So I'd love to have seen a bit more than that, but they decided to stop it at uh, 15. But up until then, you know, look, a lot will depend. We're listening to that trailer, by the way, which is one of the most overwrought kind of yeah. dramatic trailers I've ever, I've ever seen. There's a lot of humour in this film. There's a lot to enjoy by this film. People might think, why do I want to watch a kind of a, a family drama? It's not just a simply a family drama. This is the uh, the early life of Steven Spielberg, one of the mm. greatest directors and producers that we've ever seen. You know, um, and uh, you know, I I adore his films. I remember when E. T. came out, for example, I saw it three times in one week. I think I've told you that before. Yeah, I was just and I saw it again last year, just blown away just how brilliant it, uh, it is. So it's about the birth of an extraordinary talent, and um, yes, it is a family drama, but it's an extraordinary family drama of an extraordinary family, and uh, I loved it very very much. Indeed. And the the fact that it's called the Fablemans that's th that's their surname in it is it yes exactly yeah, it's the Spielbergs so really Spielbergs, but it's the Fablemans, yeah, Fablemans so yeah. you know and it's been uh, it's nominated for an Oscar for best film best director and I think um, um, Michelle Williams has been nominated Judd Hirsch who has an extraordinary uh, performance in it uh, as Uncle Bor Boris there's plenty to enjoy here and uh, I would certainly recommend it and so so it takes you up to the age of 15 could there be a, could there be a follow on I wonder, could there be? Yeah, because yeah. it's a pity he didn't. But I, he did it. Obviously, it was, it was about his childhood, and that's where he was kind of um, d directing his attention. Which uh, you know, mm. but but certainly, I would have loved to have you know have him deal with Robert Young, for example, in Marcus Welby, MD. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he apparently was a difficult character. Peter Falk warmed to him and thought he was absolutely terrific as well. And I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I, I, I bemoan the fact that too many people, I think, are given big directorial roles that haven't been done their homework, who haven't got a background. Whereas he did. He learned how to. Make Make a move, movies at a very early age, and his background making these TV movies 
uh, in um, uh, in Universal, you know, certainly helped him when it came to, to making movies because he had done his homework. Well done. Well done. Okay, so Mark the Fablemans out of 10? I'll give it nine. Nine out of 10. Okay. And then the second one is, this is the one that's gone up on um, Amazon Prime. Amazon isn't Prime, it? yeah. Because uh, this is getting a lot of coverage on TV trailer-wise. Mm-hmm. This is the Shotgun Wedding. This is the one with Jennifer Lopez. Uh, yes, it is. It's, um, dra- it's produced by uh, Ryan Reynolds, actually. He was meant to be in it at one stage, but then had to pull out. Uh, so she uh, is in this film alongside uh, a guy by the name of Josh Dumail, I think is how uh, he pronounces uh, his name. He was in that uh, TV series of Vegas, I think, some time ago. And, um, and I'm watching this thing, and did you know, there was a film out a couple of years back uh, called The Lost City with Sandra Bullock. Do you remember that oh, film? Oh, that Channing rings Tatum? the bell, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and as I'm watching this film, I'm thinking, you know, this is the most... Um, Sandra Bullock film that I've ever seen that doesn't star Sandra Bullock <laughs> because it's pretty much the same story as The Lost City. I remember Harrison Ford years back made a, a really good movie called Six Days, Seven Nights where again he's on a desert island somewhere and he gets attacked by pirates and I'm just thinking when they've sat down to write this thing when the writer sat down and, and kind of you know uh, said you know does anybody want to make this didn't anybody say but hasn't this been done so many times previously before but no obviously somebody decided no let's go ahead and make it. Um, the thing is is that um, so Jennifer Lopez and Josh Duhamel, uh, they head to the Philippines to have this incredibly romantic wedding. All their families uh, have come along as well. Now, the tagline is the bride and groom. Uh, they're attacked by pirates, by the way. Uh, the bride and groom <laughs> must save their loved ones if they don't kill each other first. So you, it, my worry about that was, that, oh, there's going to be an awful lot of running about and squabbling. There's going to be a lot of squabbling in this film. And there is. There's an awful lot of the two of them just shouting at each other. And you're like, oh, please stop. And um, yeah, it's it's a load of all nonsense, I'm afraid. It's, uh, is it? Yeah, there's, there's nothing really original or, or, uh. or interesting about this, apart from it's got Jennifer Coolidge in it. And who doesn't love Jennifer yeah. Coolidge? And Jennifer Coolidge is playing Jennifer Coolidge, I'm glad to be able to say. It's... it's it's mercifully short. It's only about an hour and 40 minutes long. Okay, so that but, helps. But, it was, well, it was still a difficult film, though, to watch. There's a couple of really good sequences. There's, uh, there's, uh, there's kind of a running joke about a pineapple, which is actually quite funny. And uh, there's a really good helicopter sequence in there as well. But uh, throughout it, it's just them running about, just, you know, squabbling. And there's a really strange scene where, where one of the pirates, they kill one of the pirates. And they have this discussion after killing this man about um, what an extraordinary experience it was for the two of them and um, how they felt alive and excited by it all. And I'm just thinking, is this it's really, a bit really bizarre? Happened? Oh, completely, yeah. And uh, so when the violence happens, of course, for a rom-com, it's, it way, it's way too violent. Yeah. Look, it's a load of old nonsense and um, it's kind of fun in places, but uh, overall, not not one original thing, uh, you know, will you see in this film. Yeah. And uh, and I find it kind of annoying. I, I saw somebody say, uh, till death do his part takes on a whole new meaning <laughs> in this particular movie. Okay, shotgun, where do you mark it out of 10? Uh, give it six. Six. It's bright and sunny okay. and cheerful, and it's, but it's, it's not very good. It's available on Amazon Prime. Okay, listen, Mark, thank you for that. Okay. And uh, have a nice bank holiday weekend. And we will chat with Mark again next uh, Friday. Just some of your texts uh, coming in, a number of them coming in on uh, migrants. I have to say, somebody says the problem with this country, Patricia, is there are too many laws. I, Patricia, I can't believe some of the comments about the refugees that are fleeing a war-torn country, fighting for their lives. All they want is a bit of temporary 
free shelter while they wait to return to their own country. We Irish are gone so selfish. We are not even recognisable anymore. There are times when I'm ashamed to be Irish. If we lived within our means and raised our children sensibly, we wouldn't have such a housing crisis. We we reared our children to literally live on handouts, the sweat off somebody else's brow, instead of teaching them to stand on their own two feet and work for their own houses like we all did. We always lived by if you can spare something, then please uh, share it. Uh, John says, Patricia, isn't the tide turning fast with the Irish people in just 12 months? This time last year, the Irish were pledging their homes for emigrants fleeing the war in Ukraine. Nothing wrong. There was nothing wrong with that. But we need to to cap the amount of emigrants coming into Ireland. The government are fueling people's tempers. You wait and see. There'll be trouble in this country yet. That's my big fear as well, I have to say. The government are asleep at the wheel uh, while taxpayers' money has been wasted. It's clear to see the government are taking the mick out of its own people. Uh, according to uh, John, not happy with the way the government are handling it. Dennis, listening to us in Oxford, says as regards housing Ukrainian refugees, people should know that Ukraine are fighting for our democracy too. If Europe sits back and lets Putin have his way, he will eventually take over Ireland as well as other European countries. It's not that long ago we had a man called Hitler. Do people want a life under Putin? We all have to do our part to stop him and be part of the war against him. And if that involves, if that involves involves housing Ukrainians then so be it um, uh, Dennis Knoxford says I'll be housing three I ha- I'm housing three Ukrainians since April well done uh, Dennis and someone else says in response to that listener I understand completely oh this is to do with the Irish that went abroad I understand completely but when I was abroad discrimination against us Irish was very common it did not feel nice and seriously if I let it affect me my mental health would have su- suffered but thank God I was able to uh, brush it off. Okay, that's some of your calls and comments that have been coming in uh, in the last little while. That's where I leave you today. Have a great bank holiday weekend. We'll talk to you on Tuesday. Work today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.